This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 5, a section commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. This passage is rich with moral teachings that Jesus uses to point people to the root of our problems, our sinful hearts. But it's quite practical as well with guidance for much of everyday life. We've learned how to handle the Word of God, how to handle anger, how to handle lust, and how to handle deception. Now we've come to something so common in life, we'll need to spend several weeks learning how to handle this one, and that's conflict. Conflict occurs often, and how we manage it will make the difference in how our faith is perceived by the world around us. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. Now we have reached the most challenging part of the Sermon on the Mount, not because the words of Jesus are hard to understand, precisely the opposite. Because they are so clear, they are challenging for us because they're difficult to implement and accept. For example, because they confront the human craving for revenge and our temptation to overcompensate for injury and insults done against us. And that tendency goes back to the time of Cain and the second generation of humanity. If you go to Genesis 4, you will read that God placed a sign in Cain, the murderer of Abel, so that no one would revenge kill him. Vigilantism was a problem then and is a problem now, and here's why. Our society esteems the vengeful and the vindictive, but scoffs at the humble and the lowly. Our flesh glorifies retaliation and despises forgiveness. We demand justice for our offender, but when we commit the crime, we lower the bar and we cry out, mercy. But the truth is, according to the Bible, we're all perpetrators of sin. And let me give you Jesus' indictment on the human heart. It's in Matthew 15, verse 19. He says this, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. And Paul confirms this in Galatians 5 verses 19 through 20 when he says, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And that is the reason, church, why we deserve judgment from the day we are conceived. Because according to Psalm 51 verse 5, like David, we were conceived in sin. And we know from scripture that Jesus Christ is the only human being who is sinless because God bypassed natural conception for him to allow for the virgin birth precisely so that Christ wouldn't inherit the sinful nature of his earthly parents. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us firmly and compassionately. And according to him, we need to obtain the righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. If you haven't done so by now, highlight Matthew 5 verse 20. That's the key verse of this entire session here on the Sermon on the Mount. It's important for us to understand that that righteousness is not something we can earn. It has to be received on the basis of grace, by grace through faith. And when we do, Paul says in Romans 5.1 that having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And because we have been reconciled to God, we want to understand and uphold His standard of spiritual virtue, infinitely superior to ours. And that's what Jesus addresses here in the Sermon on the Mount in these session of issues that He raises. We're going to talk about how subjects of the kingdom of heaven should handle conflict. Specifically, we're going to look at how to respond to insult and injury. Here's a hint. We don't do it like non-believers do. And we definitely don't cater to our own sinful desires and demands. So with that in mind, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 5. And we're going to read verses 38 through 42, the words of Christ. And he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So clearly, Jesus breaks this paragraph into two parts. We're going to follow the same format. And by following that same format, first of all, what we have in verse 34 is the corruption. Jesus exposes the corruption of the time. And he exposes that by accusing a misapplication of sound doctrine. His audience here held to an unbiblical version or an unbiblical view of the law of retribution, also known as the Lex Talionis, the divinely instituted judicial system in ancient Israel designed to punish criminals according to the crime, according to the offense. Obviously, this system included monetary damages when necessary, but the core principles of this system are justice and fairness. So that the retribution should not exceed the crime. It must mirror the offense. And God clarified that this is his standard even before he even gave the law to Moses. For example, to Noah. Right after the flood, Genesis 9 verse 6, he says this. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made men. He's talking about capital punishment for murder. Now the ancient rabbis... Generations before Jesus' time here mishandled three particular passages of the Old Testament, and I'll read them to you in a minute here. But they used them as proof texts to create a parallel system of justice that called for personal vendettas. And they overstepped their bounds by doing that. They operated, therefore, by an outward-focused, man-made, hypocritical religion which neglected heart transformation and focused on the outside. Remember, this is the pattern that we see here. Jesus is confronting that very notion. Well, specifically, in this case, he is addressing that misunderstanding, that corruption of the lex telionis, the law of retribution, where people created a parallel system. And by doing that, they're telling God, God, your system is not good enough. I need to add human tampering to that system because you're too soft. Therefore, I need to make sure that I overcompensate for the mistakes done against me. And here's what they used as proof texts. Exodus 21 verse 24. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Leviticus 24 verses 19 through 20. If a man injures his neighbor just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. In Deuteronomy 19, verse 21, Thus who shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Well, the ancient rabbis corrupted these texts by stepping into the realm of the government to punish evildoers. 
And not only to punish evildoers, but to overcompensate. And by doing that, they perpetuated cycles of retaliation that hardly ever mirrored the crime. And furthermore, church, we need to understand this. God never intended for victims to take matters into their own hands. And the reason for this is simple. When you allow the offended party to inflict punishment or vengeance, he or she most likely will commit a crime of passion and become quickly the perpetrator because of the emotional nature of retaliation. Therefore, a third party must mediate to avoid vigilantism and to avoid cycles of evil, to avoid perpetuation of violence. And the mediator must be one assigned by God to ensure fairness. It must be the one that God assigns. And let me demonstrate to you the relevance of the Word of God one more time so that your confidence in the Word of God will grow and mature. In Genesis 34, Moses tells us the story of the rape of Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. Shechem, the prince of the Hivites, took her by force. And after committing the crime, he asked his father to negotiate with Jacob so that he could have Dinah for his wife. When the brothers of Dinah heard about the incident, they plotted a revenge strategy which was very ungodly. It involved deceit and bloodshed. Listen to what they proposed to the father of the perpetrator and see if you can spot the cunning there and the treachery in their strategy. Genesis 34, verses 14 through 17, it says this, that they reported back to the father of the perpetrator. We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you, if you will become like us, in that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. You see how they are crafting this plan that is evil? Well, let's keep reading the story here. Shechem, the rapist convinced his father that this was a good deal. They wanted to partner up with the daughters of Jacob. Remember, these are the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. He also convinced every male in his city that to be circumcised would be a good deal. And this is what happened when the men were recovering from circumcision. Listen to Genesis 34 verse 25. But now it came about on the third day when they were in pain, they were recovering from circumcision, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. Talk about overkill in a massacre. The sons of Jacob acted, first of all, presumptuously by offering the sign of the covenant to a non-covenant people and by presuming that God would bless that. But second of all, instead of holding the suspect accountable, they massacred the entire male population of the city. That is overcompensation. That is exactly what God did not want to happen. And you would think that this bloodshed would satisfy their convoluted sense of justice. But no, listen to what happened next. If you think that they've inflicted a greater punishment than the crime, listen to this one. And look at the relevance of Scripture for us today. Genesis 34, verses 27 through 29. It says this, Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. 
You see, church, human nature has not changed for all of these years. If anything, it's gotten worse because now we have become better equipped at looting, at shedding blood. We added arson and extortion now to the technique, to our cycle of pain, evil with evil. And by taking matters into their own hands, these guys here, Jacob's sons, started a cycle of honor killings that impaired their sense of justice. How do we know that? These are the guys who later sold Joseph into slavery. See, it's a downward cycle. And this is the principle that we learn from this biblical example here. You dive deeper and deeper into lawlessness when you take matters into your own hand and you ignore what Deuteronomy 32 verse 35 says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We should pray for justice, of course. But we have no business inflicting revenge on our offenders. Now let's go back to the story here. The deadly vendetta of the brothers of Dinah here caused their father to live in fear of retaliation. That's another consequence of their action. Not only they plotted something that was cunning and treacherous, they massacred all the mills in the city, they looted the place, and here's the consequence for their own family. Listen to Genesis 34 verse 30. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me, he says. By making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed. I and my household. So what Jacob is saying is this. You perpetuated the cycle of evil. What's going to happen next is they're going to come and take revenge on us. And we have fewer men. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all the inhabitants of the land are going to come against us. You have brought trouble for me is what Jacob is telling his sons. In other words, you perpetuated the cycle of evil and you acted presumptuously and that is a tremendous sin. And you would think that at least they would be touched by the heartbreak of their father. But no, listen to their answer in verse 31. Should he treat our sister as a harlot? And of course, that is a true statement. He shouldn't do that. But the point is that they are blinded by their self-righteousness, their murderous anger, and their greed. And they show no repentance, no remorse, no conviction of sin, no concern for their father's heart or God's law about murder. See, in order to overcompensate for the rape of their sister, what they committed was genocide, theft, kidnapping, destruction of property, and betrayal. And they acted presumptuously by offering the sign of circumcision. Now church, let me ask, is that God's standard for us or for anybody else? Well, we'll let Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, answer that question. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. You see, church, how it's important for us to exercise self-control and give up on our desire to inflict revenge. And by the way, you don't need to murder anybody to do that. You don't need to pull the trigger in order to murder someone in your heart. We've already determined that. So in our convoluted desire to inflict punishment on our evildoers, on, on the offenders, we commit murder in the heart. We've already talked about this. That murder may be passive. When you give them the cold shoulder, you simply ignore them and you executed them in your heart. That's what you're doing. Or you can be in from an aggressive standpoint, even though you're not hitting anyone, but you, you are massacring them with your words. See, and God hates that. We need to make sure that this is not what we're doing. Now, fast forward the storyline to the time of the Exodus. 
The law of retribution was supposed to be enforced at the judicial level. We need to understand this. Not at the personal level. The third party that we were talking about, the law of retribution, the lex talionis, was supposed to be enforced at the judicial level, not at the level of people to people. Because the punishment for crimes must be fair. God established the powers that be for that. The government, including the police, our police departments, they are ministers of God. According to Romans 13 verse 4, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now, if the civil authorities, and we're talking about policemen, judges, or even congressmen, if they commit crimes, then they become subject to prosecution. Of course, and rightly so. Praise God for checks and balances. But you don't want to dismantle an institution that God has established. Why would you want to do that? Now, if there's corruption and the powers that be, yes, we can call for reform. But here's a non-negotiable from Scripture. Romans 12, verses 17 through 19. Listen to this very carefully. Paul says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In church, how does he repay? And on a human level, he uses government authorities to do that. They are ministers of God. The powers that be are ordained by God, for there is no authority other than ones that have been established by God. Paul says this in Romans 13. On our spiritual level, he condemns the perpetrator to the lake of fire, unless the perpetrator repents and comes to Christ, which is the desire of our hearts. Have you considered that? That you should be praying for the looters. You should be praying for the rioters. You should be praying for the murderers and for the people who murdered an innocent man a few months ago that we saw on TV. You should be praying for God to grab a hold of these people's hearts so that they can come to faith in Christ. And if for no other reason, for this simple principle that we find in the Word of God, you and I are criminals at heart, just like those guys. Well, we haven't pulled the trigger. We haven't stabbed anyone but we are murderers at heart. We are adulterers at heart according to God's standard. You want to know the difference, church, between us and the looters? Let me tell you the difference between us and the rioters and the looters here. We have not broken the window of the store to steal the flat screen TV, but we covet the TV in our hearts and we envy the people who can afford to buy one. You see, God sees the heart. Committing sin, committing an act that defies God, doesn't have to be the final act. It starts in the heart because of what Christ said. So we need to pray for the people who have committed those crimes that we're seeing on TV. And what we're seeing on TV is a perpetuation of evil, a cycle of evil, paying evil with evil. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you twice. Oh, you hurt me twice, I'm going to hurt you four times. When does it end, church? And the answer is in Scripture. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't take matters into our own hands. It's not our job. Now, let me offer you some comfort from the Word of God. Until Jesus Christ returns to earth to establish His millennial kingdom, which, by the way, is the perfect form of government, every human institution will be imperfect. Let me say this again. Until Christ comes back to establish the millennial kingdom, which is the perfect form of government, no human institution will be perfect. Consider our own church, friends. Let me ask you this. Are we perfect? Far from it. Starting with your pastor. He is a flawed human being. Yours truly. But 
God began a good work in us, the Bible says, and he will perfect it until the day of Christ. And what I'm saying is this. If we experience life in a perfect system of justice, we would have no desire for heaven. Think about this. If we lived under the perfect government, the perfect system, with perfect justice, we would have no desire for heaven. And for that reason, church, here's how we should react when we see injustice all around and we are victims of injustice and injury and insult. We should, we should say this, Lord, I can't wait for you to come back. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Or if you want to quote Christ verbatim, you can quote Matthew 6, stand in your prayer and you say, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's how Christ exposes the corruption of the lex telionis, the law of retribution that the scribes and Pharisees of his time were promoting. Again, they inherited that from the rabbis of old. That's why Christ says, you heard what it was said. He's not referring to the law of the Old Testament because Christ would never add to Scripture. He would never correct Scripture. He said he wouldn't do that. He's saying, you have heard what it was said, but I say, meaning your understanding of Scripture is wrong. Let me give you the correct understanding of Scripture. So that's the corruption that he exposes. But here's more on how we should handle conflicts. After doing that, he presents the lesson. So we saw the corruption, and now we're going to look at the lesson, verses 39 through 42 of Matthew 5. And before we even start looking at that, a good starting point for us to understand the precepts of the majestic Savior is to look at the broader context of Scripture. Write that down in the margin of your Bible. Look at the broader context of Scripture. I'm going to give you some Bible references for you to, to understand that because we run the risk of taking these words out of context and when we do, we come up with a completely unbiblical view. So let's understand the immediate context and what he's talking about here and also the broader context of Scripture. And the immediate context tells us he's talking about conflict. And again, the rationale for looking at the broader context of Scripture is right here. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, when Jesus says, Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And what Christ is saying is here, I am not here to correct Scripture. I'm not here to modify Scripture. Nothing, therefore, he teaches contradicts Scripture. And that's true for both Testaments, because they're both equally inspired by God. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that. So with that in mind, first of all, we need to understand verse 39 in the context. And when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, I want you to know he is not teaching indifference to evil. Because that what contradicts scripture. James 4 verse 7 tells us that we are to resist the devil. So right there in the scripture, we are to resist the devil. Obviously, what Christ means here is not that we are to be indifferent to evil. Furthermore, God expects the church to confront evil, to confront sin by preaching the truth. For example, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So that's a, a way to confront and to resist evil. And furthermore, the church is called to discipline the sinning believer, to confront sin in the church. Consider what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Your indifference to sin is not good is what he's saying. And he goes on to say, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. And in verse 12, he goes on to say, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. I mean, 
You don't get any clearer than that. He's saying remove, exclude the unrepentant sinner from the church. We are to resist sin. We are to confront sin. Secondly, I want you to know that in verse 39, the beginning of the verse, Jesus is not prohibiting people from reporting crimes. We are called upon to speak the truth. And if we are called upon to testify against the suspect, we are to speak the truth. Remember Matthew 5 verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, Furthermore, he is not prohibiting you from intervening. I don't know that I can not do anything if I see someone being abused on the streets. We are to intervene. He does not prohibit military action of self-defense. And furthermore, church, we need to understand this very clearly. Christ is not asking you to bypass your God-given natural instinct of self-preservation. Okay? Christians are blessed to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, he says in Matthew 5, verse 10. But there is no particular virtue in pursuing persecution, in wanting to be abused. That's, that's sickness. Okay? That, that is something that needs to be treated. In other words, subjects of the kingdom of heaven should not pursue persecution, but we should endure it if it's inevitable. When he talks about do not resist an evil person, he is speaking in the context of retaliation, interpersonal conflict. In other words, do not retaliate. In that context, retaliation is a no-no. Why? Because we remember the words of Paul, do not pay evil with evil. Instead, believers should, by all means, get out of harm's way. Avoid the abuser, of course, report the crime, confront the sin, obviously, but ultimately, you must trust the Lord to act on your behalf. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org, or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.